All right, am I missing anything else? It's time to, time to preach, teach. And we're kind of early, right? I think Brother Andrew knew. Is this, is this on now? I was preaching, so it was, yeah, I was going to need extra time, I guess. Long-winded. Last Sunday, when I got here, Brother Justin told me after about five minutes of being here, he says, hey, man, I may need you to preach. And I was like, what? Uh, you know, so it, if you've never been in that position where you've been asked to preach, and up to that point, the only thing that's been on your mind is breakfast, you know, you, you, you know, sometimes you feel like the tank is a little empty. You know, I mean, the spiritual tank. But, you know, I, I got to thinking, I was like, man, can I, can I preach at this much late notice? And I thought, heck yeah, man, I can preach. And the reason I said that with confidence is because I, I was going to preach one Sunday, ended up not, and I found my Bible with my notes over here. And I was like, looky there, you go to the Lord and he provides. But... Anyway, but I'm going to be, we're going to be in Hebrews, and I've got a lot of scripture to go through, but the good news is I believe we're going to have it on the screen, right? And what I'm going to be talking about today is just, it's just good, rich, just a, just a wonderful truth that surprisingly enough, I guess if anything, just taking the truth from the scripture alone is, is just amazing. And then what with me was also was amazing how far I went into my Christian experience before I understood this. And, and this was ever presented to me. So, and with me, it probably, you know, I got saved, you know, served the Lord, went to Bible, got called to preach, went to Bible college, then started working for a church. And it wasn't until about 12 years into being just burnt to a crisp in, in ministry before I came across this, and I thought, why? Why is it? Why is it that it's taken this long? And then also how, how much I needed that, how much I needed to know. And I can't help but think if, there's, if I went that far, then there's, I guarantee there's others in here that have been in the same position. And some of us, we, we share our stories. And our, even though our experiences are not the same, our, our spiritual backgrounds in some cases are not the same, one thing that, that unites us is this right here, what I'm going to talk about this morning. It's Jesus. And not just Jesus, but Jesus being enough. That's, that's the thing. That is, that's where we can, we may differ in experiences and backgrounds, but, but the main thing is we come to an agreement that Jesus is just enough. It, that, that it's pure grace. Give it to me straight. You know, that's what we want, Jesus being enough. You know, I was thinking, you know, just a little bit about me when it comes to worship. And, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian background where we just sung hymns because that's what you do before the preaching. Has anybody ever been there before? You know what I mean? Worship was just, it was not a part of what we did, you know. It, it, you know, publicly, that's, I guess that's the key word. But worship wasn't part of what I did publicly, Worship is what I enjoyed by myself, and it, it with me it's it's a, it's a little bit difficult, and I'm just speaking openly with you. It's a little bit difficult because worship to me was intimate, and intimate is usually private. It's 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 difficult for me, and I and I, I know I can speak for some of us in the same situation. It's difficult to take those intimate worship times and be public with that. 
you see. So it's, it, you know, it's not that you don't enjoy the music and it's not that you have anything against just just a public display of just being open. It's just, it's a little bit more, it's a little more difficult because it's, you worship is used to being private and uh, with me. So, but, you know, like this morning as I was looking over my notes and, and even when I'm, you know, dur- throughout the week, I'll be listening to a song and something about the song hits me just right and it reminds me of a verse and it reminds me of a truth and man, boom, it's just, you're gone. You know what I mean? He gone. That's, that's the way it is. And so I understand but in a public setting, it's just, it's a little bit, so it takes a little bit more time. So, but anyway, I hope that, does that, does that help at all? You know what I mean? So just, just want to kind of throw that out there. But Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to talk to you about God's new deal. God's new deal. What makes the new covenant, what makes the new covenant better? What makes the, what really is the heart of the gospel being good news? And that this, that, that's what we're going to see here today. You know, there's major lessons that everybody needs to know and understand. Number one, God loves you. You know what I mean? God loves you. You know, and that Jesus died for your sins. These are, these are key, common, core things that the world needs to hear. But there's also something even better than that. Is that what, when Jesus came and he died on the cross, what changed? What, what was the difference I mean, when you understand the ramifications of that, it just blows you away. And I would like, I'm I'm excited to say that after six years or so preaching, every time I get into this, it's just like, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It never gets old. And what I'm finding is, in my old experience, when we talked gospel, you know, gospel was a Sunday morning message. That was for the lost people. What I was waiting for is for the preacher to come skin me alive on all the things I needed to do better or I should do different or I should let go. Does, anybody, does this sound familiar? Remember we used to say stepping on your what? On your toes, right? I needed somebody to step on my toes. But, but the gospel message was a boring message. That was the Sunday morning message. You know, my brother shared, you shared a quote on Facebook where he says the, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z of Christianity. Was that original with you or did you find that somewhere? Huh? You don't, I don't know. You know. What's that? I don't know, but it was good regardless. But, it, but that's exactly it. If we ever get to a point as a church where the gospel is boring Lord, help us. You see what I mean? Lord, help us. And what's happened is the gospel's gotten boring because most look at the gospel one-dimensional. It's just Jesus died for my sins. That's it. But when, when you get to the other side of the coin is that I was crucified with Christ. When you understand to the depth of change and sacrifice that had, had happened to you because of the finished work of Christ, then it gets exciting. And it never gets old. And you're just like in awe, you know what I mean, of I cannot, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that this is truth. And it's good. So, but Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll look at verses 39 and 40. And it says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise... And God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 
for your wonderful truth. I'm thankful to know that church for us is we come and we meet together as your children, as sons and daughters, to celebrate and to brag on what Father has done. Lord, I pray that the world could know this. And Lord, I've seen with my own experience how this truth is concealed. It's hid under a bushel. And Lord, I pray that here it will never be hid. That these truths that the world so desperately needs, the gospel, the good news of the gospel, can be a, become a very source of who we are and where we live. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. And Lord, I just pray that you give me clarity by way of your spirit. And Lord, help me to say the very things that I need to say. And Father, help me not to say the things I should not say. And Lord, I just pray that whatever's on display this morning will be solely and completely all you. And Lord, I just thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11 is commonly known and referenced to as the Hall of Faith. And all of us growing up, if you grew up in church, you know, you would always go to Hebrews 11 and you would always find your one Old Testament character that you would look to and and say, oh man, look, David, you know what I mean? Moses, Noah, all these ones that were always mentioned. I never found growing up, anybody said Rahab. You know, who's your best favorite character? Oh, Rahab. Rahab was the one I, nobody ever did that, but she's in there in the works that she did uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. But it's referred to as the hall of faith. We find the the biblical definition of faith in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We find that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, at first, I mean, you read that, man, that's, that almost tends to breed anxiety a little bit, right? Because we so desperately want to please God. We wake up every morning saying, oh, man, I want to please God today. Oh, I want to please God today. I want, I want to please God today. And we're scared that in any one moment, in any action, God's not going to be pleased. But the truth is, God is, Father is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. You've stepped out in faith and trusted him. Your faith in what he's done in his finished work, he's pleased with you. And that's a truth that we have to live from. No longer are we in a position where we're trying to constantly please the Father. But the fact is, Father is pleased. I can't help but go back to Jesus' early ministry. But when he first got started, he got baptized. And, 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 the, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit ascended him on, on, like a dove. And, and, and the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well what? Pleased. Before he ever healed the sick. Before he turned the water into wine. Before he even preached the message. That he knew as he was going throughout his day, Father was pleased with him. And how, so, how we so need to know that and understand that. Obedience and faith and believing God, not just doing things for God. It's what it's all about. We find that the hall of faith, those Old Testament believers. Then we find verse 39 and 40 mentioned at the end. And in my experience, very, we, we never really got that far. Most of the time, it was, it was looking at a work that they did in the Old Testament, and then we would carry it over on this side of the cross and say, see, we need to be like them. Right? Man, we need to have the faith of them. We need to be as dedicated as them. I mean, Moses, for example, chose to be with the people of God and enjoy sin for a season. 
We need to be like that. But it's at this very end here is where we find everything that supports what, what Hebrews 11 is talking about. It's the main part. It's the, it's the part that we need to see. <clears throat> it's the part that gives us the truth that we live from. Is it possible that we have something better available to us than the Old Testament saints had? Think about that. I mean, let's look at it again. And these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the what? The promise. There was something that they did, but there was also something they didn't have. They never received the promise. And since in God having provided somewhat better thing, I like the sound of that. Now, D. Michaels, for example, is my father-in-law's restaurant. And we're serving D. Michaels this Wednesday. And may I say he has a better cheesesteak than anywhere else you're going to go in town. Now, if you're going to have something better, you've got to be able to compare it to something else. There's got to be a comparison there. And we're going to find what was the author of Hebrews talking about. When he had the nerve to say this is better, he was comparing it to something else. And we're going to see what that is. But is it impossible that we have something better available to us than the Old Testament saints had? If we have something better, then what makes it better? And that's the key right there. What makes it better? What makes the new covenant? What makes the New Testament what makes what being on this side of the cross better than what it was on the, first, on, on, the, on the other side of the cross? Why are we so blessed on this side of the cross? And I dare to say that many a believer do not know to the depth of why that is. Because so much of the gospel today has become a hybrid message. It's Moses and it's grace And it's a combination of the two. It's Jesus saved my life, so now I can therefore learn how to be a better person and try not to disappoint him in the process and then ultimately get the pink slip at the end, right? And if I was to use, I mean, I'm using kind of archaic terminology, but that's really about how it is. But that's not how it is, according to the New Testament. So we're going to dive into this thing and see. In order to see clearly, we must allow the Bible to answer these questions. So number one is this, that in the new covenant, we are under new management. We are under new management. Hallelujah for that. Hebrews 7, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. It says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity... A change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of what? Judah. Of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. We today regard Jesus as our high priest, do we not? But often forgetting that according to law, he would have not qualified for, for he was from a different tribe. So if you could imagine, if you will, here we have help wanted. We need a new high priest. And there sits a Levite that's going to be doing the hiring. And here in walks Jesus. And he hands him his resume. And he says, sit down. And Jesus sits down. 
And he says, now you realize the position, what we're looking for. And Jesus says, yes, you're looking for another high priest. And as he's got his glasses on, he's nosing through his resume. He gets down to nationality. And he says, hey, wait a minute here. You're, you're, this, you, there ain't no way. He's, Jesus like, what do you mean? I'm the son of God. He said, well, you, you, not according to, to our rules. Our rules are you have to be from the tribe of Levi. The position's closed to you. So according to Moses' law, Jesus would have never have qualified to be a high priest on the basis of he was not from the right tribe. Now, why is that important? We're going to see. Because, let's see here. Um, uh, let me see here. Where were we at here? Yes, Hebrews 7.15. Uh, let's see here. Um, oops, I kind of got lost. That last statement messed me up here. But anyway, let me, let me, let me just kind of clarify here just a little bit. Jesus would have never qualified to be, to, to, uh, to be the high priest. And because, because it was more than just changing high priests like they did in the Levites, our whole relationship to law had to change. And that's what the whole signification of Jesus being from a new tribe. Our whole relationship has changed. But because today the church wants to argue law, we want to argue law things all constantly, dress codes, worship styles, you know what I mean? We want to argue everything from what time we go to church and what we wear and what type of Bible that we use. And, and, and all, I mean, I have been in conferences where they've been Save America conferences. And this is how we're going to save America by implicating all these different things onto people and pressing onto people. And the church wants to argue law constantly. But in reality, we need to understand how our relationship has changed to that law according to the scriptures. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me stop there for, example, for, a, for a minute here and say this. Often this is quoted in saying, Well, yep, grace is good, but you've got you to gotta mix grace with truth. Anybody ever heard that before? Which basically means you got to be careful with grace because too much grace is dangerous because grace instills freedom, which in essence instills liberty, which, by the way, are all things the Bible talks about, that when you're free in Christ, you're free what? Indeed. Just in case you missed it, you have freedom. You're free now to be who I have recreated you to be. And so... Often we find, okay, well, you got a couple grace with truth, but here we find that law came by Moses and grace and what? Truth came by way of Jesus Christ. So we're under new management by a high priest that would have been disqualified completely on the basis of what law is. Number two is this, God's new deal. And this gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because it's just hard to believe. When we accept Christ as our Savior or our high priest, we enter into a contract, an agreement, or a covenant with God. Now, unlike the old covenant that was penned by Moses, the new will, will not be replaced 
and it is final word when it comes to our relationship with God. Now look at Hebrews 9.15. It says, For this cause he is the mediator of a new testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the, new, the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance. And that's us. That, and it took Jesus' death to usher in the New Testament. Because we've heard it before, if you go to a lawyer and you, you want to you take care of everything that you're going to leave to your kids, I'm just going to tell my kids I'm not leaving you anything. So don't, you're going to have to work the rest of your life just like I did. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. They may get something. And I don't even want to put that on their hearts right now. They don't even need to worry about that. But anyway... If they're going to sort all that out, it, it, your last will and testament doesn't go in effect until you die. So when Jesus died, it ushered in a new way. It ushered in a new deal. And when we accept him, we enter into a contract. We enter into that agreement with him. Hebrews 7.21 says, For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto the Lord, Swear, will not repent, thou art a priest forever after order of Melchizedek. In verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. <clears throat> now let's look at verse 8. I'm sorry, chapter, chapter uh, Hebrews 8.10. I know uh, it is easy to follow along up there. I, I think they're kind of in succession. All right, good. Because I can't see. I can't see it up there. But anyway, look at chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 13. And you're like, yeah, I see that on the screen. All right. So anyway, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Now, that's important to understand because we have new hearts. It says, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor or every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I'll remember as long as they confess them. All right, let me say that again. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In this, he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old, and now that which decayeth and waxeth old and is ready to what? Vanish away. Now what is waxing old and vanishing away? The old covenant. It's waxing old. It's obsolete. So the old system is waxing old and it's vanishing away. Something new was coming all along, not just something new, but something radically different. Something so different that not even the mosaic, the, the, the mosaic law that applied to the priesthood had to be something radically different. That Jesus could have easily been from the tribe of Levite, but no, he was the lion from the tribe of Judah. He came from a complete different tribe because our whole relationship, it wasn't just law changed, but my relationship to law had to change because we're under new management. Not only is it radically different, but it solves a serious problem of our failure to remain faithful. Solves that problem. Isn't it funny how in many situations, 
We come and celebrate our faithfulness on Sundays, not here at Pure Grace. Amen? We come to celebrate His faithfulness. We've come to celebrate how awesome, he, great works He hath done. You see, what, has he, what was He able to accomplish? He accomplished everything that was needed. And the New Deal somehow, uh, somehow causes us to remain faithful even when our strength fails us. Hebrews 8, 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, if the first covenant could have got the job done, the old covenant, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The problem was not with the covenant. That was not where the problem was. Just like the problem is not with law. Law is not the problem. The problem was in man's ability to keep the covenant. That's where the problem was. We couldn't do it. It's like the old saying says, how can you keep the, the, the commandments when you done broke them? Right? You can't. Because once you done broke it once, it's over with. And by the way, if there's a silver lining in all the religion... And I'm going to put all this in perspective for you. If there's a silver lining in all the religion and all the law teaching, it's the fact that it's going to break people down to where they're hopeless and say, you know what, I can't do it. There's many people that gave church a, a good, honest effort, and they found they couldn't do it. And now they're out there floating around. I can't help but think of a man that's just started working with me. He's an older, older gentleman. He's not as old as Ronnie Glaze, but he's, he's older. You know what I mean? Um, no, I'm just kidding. I had to, had to get you there. You know what I mean? So, but, you know, he just started helping me out. He's, he's a friend of another guy that works with me. And he was riding with me to a job. And, you know, I asked him about church and stuff like that. He says, oh, yeah. He says, man, I used to go to church. He says, I did for a long time. And I was like, well, you know, what happened? He's like, oh, man, I just, you know, I... Made some mistakes and and I got you know I got out of church and I, I've been wanting to come back and I said yeah I bet you have you know and he said and I said well you know I said let me ask you a question I said what I mean, why, why don't you come back and 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 he says well you know he's he's I've been wanting to you know I've been trying to look maybe find a good church I said, I said you don't feel like you're you're worthy to come back do you you feel like there's things you got to get straightened out first in your life right. And he said, yeah. I said, you remember the story of the prodigal son? And he, and he said, yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. I remember the story. I said, you remember the prodigal son that hey, he went out and, you know, he, he squandered everything and, and he, was, he was eating the husk. And I said, and there was a moment of clarity that came. He came to himself and he says, you know, if I could just be as one of my father's servants, you know, he'd take me back. And how that so translates with us today. You know, Lord, just, just let me be a servant. I'm not worthy to be a son, but just let me be a servant. And then I went through and I explained the story and I brought him to the fact and I laid the truth that he's a son at his feet and he just broke. I mean, 8 o'clock in the morning, just wept. And he said, you know, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. I needed to hear this truth. Because the truth is, we live from a covenant that even when we're not faithful, He keeps us faithful. And we're going to see how He does that. 
The problem, though, with a covenant was not the fact that it was with the covenant, it was with man's ability to keep it. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant that's established upon what? Better promises. Better promises. Remember in the old covenant, the promise was simple. God says, if you do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to bless you. It was, it was man's promise to God to keep his word. And man, it's funny as you see in... I say funny, it's not funny, but it's ironic. As you see in the old covenant, just this, the vicious cycle that man is on. I mean, he, he blesses them and, and you know what I mean? They're, <laughs> we're going to behave this time. And then they get away and they mess up again. And then he, he salvages them again. He says, all right now, you better listen this time. If not, I'm going to kill you. Yes, sir. And then, you know what I mean? And then they, they get away and we see this vicious cycle. And we find here the cross, all that comes to an end. And God says, you know, I got something better. But what makes it better? We find that it's built upon better promises. The new covenant is built on God's ability to keep the promise, not to us, but to himself. Remember I preached the message, well I'll get to that here in a second, but look, look at Hebrews 6. I preached a message on the anchor of the soul, I think one time when I was in here. And this kind of leads into this, but it's important to understand the better promises are not just God's promise to us, but God made a promise to himself that he would stay faithful. Hebrews 6 and verse 13 says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Now, wait a minute, God. God swore to God? What in the world? No, I'm just kidding. But that's what he did. He swore to himself. But he's saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by a greater and an oath for confirmation, is that them at the end of, of all strife, when God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, but by two immutable things, what are those two immutable things? That God made a promise to God, he swore to God, that in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, uh, who have fled the refuge and laid hold upon the hope set before us. And just as it ties into what I preached last time, for which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into the veil. If you don't remember that, the whole idea here is the hope that we have is like an anchor of the soul and that, that's anchored in the veil, the veil which represents the blood of the innocent substitute, which now we know is the blood of Christ, that in God's economy, that's the only currency there is. It's not blood and confession. It's just blood. That's the only currency. And the hope that we have is in that blood that we have as an anchor of the soul. Why is that important? Because we are at the very mercy. Our souls are at the very mercy of this world. And we're tossed to and fro by feelings and mind, will, and emotions. And there might be times that you may feel like God is not righteous and God is not there. But we're reminded of the truth. The truth that God made a promise to himself that he is going to save you. It's not built on your faith. 
It's not built on your promises to him. It's built, it's, or it's unlocked by your faith, but it's also built on the fact that he made a promise to himself. So what did God do, by the way? What did change? God had, there had to be a change. Did God change his mind about sin? It's funny because when you start talking about grace too much, it makes people nervous. So what are you saying? You can just go out and sin? Is that what you're saying? You're saying just, did you just, you got to be careful because you're going to give people a license to sin. Look, we've all been in the world enough. People don't need a license. Amen. They do good enough without a license. That's what you're saying. You, you better, you better, look, that's fine. You can preach grace this Sunday, but it better be Moses. You might be on this side of the cross this Sunday, but you better get on the other side of the cross every now and then to put people in check and remind people we live in an evil world and we got to have some truth in here to get people straight. God made some changes. A change had to be made. So what did God change? Did God change himself? No. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, the sons of Jacob were not consumed. God made it clear he's not going to change. But what did God change? Look at Hebrews 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me my people. What did God change? He changes us. You were changed. It's not just your sins are gone or washed or covered. By the way, your sins are not covered. Your sins are gone. Washed, clean. You take something, dirty plate, dishwater, rag, clean it. It's not, the dirt's not covered up with soap. It's gone. It's clean. It's washed. Your sins and your iniquities, I'll remember sometimes. Your sins and your iniquities, I'll remember no more. You are changed. You're fundamentally changed. Not just sin, but you are a new creation. And that's why Paul had to bring that out. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things, all things, all things have become new. You know, I was thinking about, you know, Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And how so often I just looked at that as just a salvation. It was a salvation message, but he was, trying to, he was just trying to preach to Nicodemus, you know, heaven. You know what I mean? That you better go to heaven. But you realize he, you gotta, when you get saved now, you can finally see kingdom. You can see that his kingdom is not just a retirement. We picture heaven like it's somewhere in Florida and it's... You know, we're all, you know, shuffleboarding it, you know, and, you know, we got catered meals and, you know what I mean? We're, nobody's in a hurry. Everybody's laid back, polo shirts. I mean, we're fly fishing and this is what, you know what I mean? We're, we're selling a retirement plan, but you know, how good is that doing you right now, ladies and gentlemen? It's not doing you too good. Right now, you need rest today. You need truth today. You need to know that you've been changed today, that you're a new creation today. And the fact is that God's promises, and you've entered that new covenant, you're a new individual. You know, another thing, too, I was thinking, I was telling Justin this the other day, how so often in church, we, we're, we're constantly coming to altars, you know what I mean? Come to the altar, 
and meet with God. And you realize that we don't, go, we don't build altars anymore. You know what I mean? We just look to the cross. You know what I mean? It, it, that's what we do. Not about building altars and coming to altars. Paul wasn't going to towns building altars. He was going to towns preaching the gospel. That's what he was doing. So God's new deal. Here's the question, though. Are you a part of that? Do you know? Are you fully trusting in the fact that, you know what? I'm, I'm living from a finished work. I'm no longer striving and struggling. Matter of fact, it's in Hebrews we find that if we are to strive, that we strive to enter his rest. Just when I saw that, it blew my mind because that was not what I was doing. I was striving for God and striving for the preacher and striving for my Christian friends over here and striving and striving and striving and striving and never one time resting. And I look today and I think, man, God, this week I have had at work, oh, my word. And now i got to get up and try to preach and preach from a place of rest. And there's just something about going back to these truths that just like refreshes your soul. You know, when Jesus says, you know, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, you know, so he's and I'll give you rest. But where does he say he's going to give you rest? Remember, I'll give you rest for your what? Your soul. Your soul. Why is that important? Because our soul is constantly battered and beat up. Our mind, our will, and our emotions are at the mercies. And man, it takes the spirit to remind us to focus on these truths and it brings that soul to a place of rest because it's irritable and it's, it's stirred up. And man, the spirit is unchanging. We are spirit. What has been done to us is we have a new spirit in us. And it's not that Jesus died for me. It's I was crucified with Christ and I've been made new. And his desires, his laws to love God and to love others has been placed squarely inside my new created heart. That it can be unleashed now because I can live from a place of rest. And let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just being new creations in Christ. And Father, I'm so thankful to know that the work has been done that affects me. But Lord, I can't help but just be surrounded by this world that I see heartache and pain. I see places to have encouragement. And even though I know I'm living from a finished work, Lord, I know and I sense within I'm being equipped to continue a work that needs to be done. There's those those that need encouragement. There's those that need just a a hug and a warm embrace of love. Lord, there's those that, like, like Charles, my coworker, who needed a time. It wasn't just about work that morning. It was about a man learning that he's a son. And Father, I'm so thankful that we can live from that. And Lord, I just pray that you will continue to allow us as a church to be able to put on a pedestal the gospel. May we stand in awe every day about your finished work. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.